0: We all had that guy everyone admired and envied a little in school. Jason was our school's rich kid. Fortunately, he's not like the stereotypes you'd see in the average American movies. While he was good at sports and played in our local teams, he wasn't a jock or a snobby brat with a bully attitude. Most everyone at our school loved Jason because he was intelligent, kind, and well, He was always ready to help anyone if they needed it. He used his status for good and often defended those who were being picked on by assholes. All in all, Jason was a pretty nice guy who never gave any reasons for anyone to dislike him. And that said, I assume most guys were also jealous of him. I mean, Jason lived at the edge of town, in an estate valued at about 5 million dollars. Always had the highest score of the class, and he was pretty good looking to boot. His family also had the kind of money that could allow them to buy the entire town twice over. I was one of those poor kids who lived in the trailer park on the other side of town, so when I first saw his estate, you can bet my jaw went slack. I mean, sure, I was envious, just like any other kid, but I couldn't bring myself to hate this guy. He was just too nice for me to hate. I just thought he was lucky and that he was born under the right set of stars, but never once did I think he didn't deserve it or that it should have been me. Now at the beginning of our last year of high school, he offered everyone in the class to go on a small camping trip. We could go camp behind his house. He said we just needed to convince his parents. He finally managed to convince them, and we all set a date for the last Friday of September. We knew the nights would be cold and that we'd also have to convince our own parents to let us, but we were all excited to see this estate and, well, go camping. Before the end of the week, just about everybody was going to go, except for two people. That Friday night came, and we all got off the bus that Jason's parents rented to pick us all up after school. We were about 30 people, so you could bet we were all a bit rowdy in the bus, It was apparent we were all excited about this. Even Jason rode the bus with us, but he didn't seem as excited. Then again, he wasn't ever one to show strong emotions for anything. He was always level-headed. I thought he was pretty cool. While we were all joking and laughing in the back seats, he sat up front and read. Now that I think about it, I've never seen him eat in the cafeteria or associate himself with anyone in particular. See, he wasn't part of a group like most popular guys. He was just everywhere. Everybody knew him and was friends with Jason at some level. But I don't think he ever had a gang of friends to hang with. And when we got off the bus, we were all amazed at the sight of this mansion. I mean, this place was at least 20 times the size of my family's mobile home. He gave us a quick tour of the house. It's two centuries old, and the size of his closet was twice the size of my room. Oh, and he had a door. I had one of those vertical store things that close with a magnet. But again, I was jealous, but I didn't hate him. After we left his room, I remember asking him about his parents, and I saw his left eyebrow twitch. He said that they were out for a business dinner and wouldn't be home until late at night. And that sounded a bit lonely, now that I think about it. It also sounded like freedom for a kid who lived in a trailer park and whose parents were always five feet away. We finally went to his backyard, which was at the edge of the forest. We walked over there and followed a small trail, which I assumed would lead us to the camping grounds. The wind was cold and crisp and whistled through the branches as we walked toward our designated camping spot. Jason only succeeded in convincing his parents to let us camp in the forest behind his estate, as long as we didn't litter. He promised them he would make sure everyone would clean up after their mess. I can understand why they wouldn't want anyone to litter that place. The forest was beautiful, especially this time of year. The reds, oranges, and yellows mixing with what little green was left made this forest look like a magical place. I could even forget the cold as I looked at the sun's rays through the foliage. The sound branches cracking under our weight and the whistling of the wind calmed me down. All I ever heard at the trailer park were neighbors screaming, loud music from disrespectful jerks and my parents yelling at each other. This place felt nice. And then, suddenly, Jason left the trail and entered the forest, telling us to follow him. We all did. We laughed and talked for as long as we followed him. It was about 20 minutes or so. We were getting pretty far from the trail. I mean, we couldn't possibly get lost in the forest since it was on his estate and we didn't walk far enough that we couldn't find our way back. When we finally reached when we were going to camp, we set up our tents, then started a fire so that we could grill some hot dogs and marshmallows. Jason even brought a small camping grill so that we could eat burgers. It was nice. Now, I didn't because I had already stuffed my face with like four hot dogs by the time they brought out the burgers, but I took a mental note to eat a burger later if there was any left. All the food had been provided by Jason, too, since the camping trip was his idea. The night started to fall, so we all sat down around the fire and started drinking. A bunch of teens left to their own devices in the forest. I mean, of course there'd be drinks. We were mainly drinking cheap beers we'd stolen from our parents, or even cheaper vodka we had our older brothers buy for us at the local liquor store. Then, when the moon was high... And only the fire gave us some light. We started telling each other horror stories. Now some kids told Bigfoot stories. Drowning in the river stories. Haunted stories. We were all just having good fun. And then Jason spoke up. Hey, did you all hear about the killer of Hollow Creek? I lifted my nose away from my beer can instantly. Jason was beaming. I could see him on the other side of the fire. I mean, surely his story would be the most interesting. It happened 217 years ago. A guy named Jonas Tremblay. It's a story passed down in my family as he died in these very woods. I heard the girls whispering and gasping, giving rooms for romantic boys to wrap their arms around them. Jason continued to relate the story his parents told him when he was a kid as a reason not to go into the woods. Jonas was a Canadian lumberjack that Jason's great-great-great-great-grandparents had recruited to cut trees off their properties to have a bigger yard. The man was known to be quiet, hardworking, and owned a business in Canada specializing in large-scale land clearing. He came with this crew and promised Jason's great, great, great whatever that the work would be done in under a week. Considering the size of this project, the family couldn't believe it was possible. They laughed and said that they were impressed and intrigued and promised the man a hefty sum if they actually did manage to finish under a week. They shook hands and work started the very next day. Now within the first day, Jonas and his crew took down about a fifth of the trees. There was no denying that they were very efficient. The family was now biting their fingers because they didn't expect them to be this good. They didn't think that was doable and bet more money than they should have. This could have all been avoided had they just believed Jonas from the start. After the second day, almost half of the land clearing was finished Jason's ancestors came to the man, but instead of congratulating him, started complaining about the damage, about the wood dust in their house, and things that shouldn't matter and should have been expected. Their maids couldn't clean fast enough, and they also had no peace of mind with the sound of the saw. They made the workers promise to stop working by five, so that the family could enjoy some peaceful time after dinner. This was going to slow Jonas down, and he knew it was about the money, not because they were bothered. Now Jonas said they could let go of the money as long as they were allowed to continue past five, since they had to leave before the end of the week. The homeowners refused, but Jonas insisted. He really needed to be gone by the end of the week. They still refused. There was a full moon on the seventh night. Now the next day, Jonas's crew kept working past 5, and finishing around 60% of the work. Now at this rate, they'd be done with the project in 5 days, and not 7. For some reason, the family's pride couldn't allow it. Not only did Jonas kept working past 5, ignoring their requests and defying their authority on their land, but if the man did finish in 7, they would have to respect the deal they made even if the man refused the money. But this couldn't do. When the crew left that night to sleep in their campers, the family had some of their servants mess with the equipment. They broke or stole the saws and made sure to slow down work as much as possible. Then, they feigned ignorance on the next day, saying it might have been the villagers angry at the noise. The family promised to replace the equipment, that meant the crew still lost an entire day of work. They couldn't work at all on the fourth day. On the fifth day, they were given new equipment to work with and cleared another significant portion of the work. But it was obviously not enough, and they clearly wouldn't be able to finish by day seven. Then, on day seven, the family mocked him for being unable to finish his contract properly and announced they wouldn't be paying the bonus would take the amount they paid for new equipment from their paycheck. Jonas went quiet and said they would be done the next day. Now that night, 32 villagers and two family members died, and 20 more villagers went missing. Bits of their bodies were strewn across the forest in the family's yard, and a child's arm that had been cleaned of most flesh and muscle was on the estate's back porch the following day. The entire crew was also missing, including Jonas. But the work had been completed during the night, as promised. Jason said his family always told him the woods were cursed, and never to be there on a full moon. Tonight was a full moon. A girl screamed, and while I was uneasy, Well, I thought it was a pretty good story, but not really worthy of a scream. That is, until I heard another scream coming right from the guy sitting next to her. She was on the other side of the fire for me, but I saw everyone jump to the side in a matter of seconds. I stood up and saw why everybody jumped. One of her arms had been cleanly cut at the shoulder and was sitting on the ground in front of her. The person to her right was covered in blood, frozen in their spot. She stood up, and our eyes met. I could see her lips moving. She was asking for help. But she fell a second later, right in the fire. Before anyone else had any time to react and try to save her, there was another scream. I turned my gaze from the girl only to see one of the jocks breathing heavily and blood dripping from his mouth. He had been impaled by a branch, seconds later, he was also falling. At the third scream, everybody started running and hiding in a panic. I heard crying, but it's what I saw that terrified me the most. Jason was walking slowly around the fire, a wide grin stretching his lips. He delivered a kick to the dead guy and laughed. His voice sounded hoarse and scratchy. I've always loved that horror story, and I've always hated the lot of you. Two birds with one stone, eh? Then Jason turned, and his gaze met mine. His eyes were now pitch black with a red ring in the middle, and I saw him transform slowly from that dude that everybody loved into something straight out of an R.L. Stein book. His nails turned to claws, and hair grew all over his body. And if you're thinking werewolf, don't. He didn't look anywhere near that dog relative. His grin twisted and contorted, and spines popped out of his back. They shone like ivory under the moon's reflection, and they looked sharp as razor blades... I couldn't tear my eyes off of him, even as I saw Drool fall from his open mouth. I couldn't stop looking even as he demonstrated the sharpness of his claws against a nearby tree. He slashed away at it, and the tree fell instantly. This is when I started running. The loud noise of the tree falling to the ground woke me out of my stupor, and I felt dread rising in me at the same time. I couldn't realize the scenario in which I lived and outran that creature. I'm glad I have a good sense of direction and knew exactly where to run to get back to the estate, but I couldn't be sure for the rest of my classmates. Unfortunately for them, I'm no hero. I'm not today and I wasn't back then either. I ran with everything I had and kept running, even as I heard more screams and the sound of flesh tearing and gores splattering nearby trees. Each scream, each gargling noise, was pushing me to run even faster. Now I managed to make it back to the house and saw Jason's parents on the back porch. They were equipped with weird looking crossbows and yelled at me to get inside. Only three of us made it back in and when I tried to call the police, the lines were disabled. Jason's parents went out into the forest, but I wasn't going to wait here for their fucked up monster son to come back and finish us. I asked the two others to come with me, and we left the house quickly. I was the only one that knew how to drive. I stole the car keys, and I drove us back to town. When we arrived at the police station and told our story, They dispatched three cars to apprehend the suspect. Jason and his parents were never found, but pieces and bits of my classmates had been strewn across the yard in the forest. Two went missing, and another one was found alive the next day, with sharp cuts all over her body. She had been lucky the monster didn't hit anything important. Now, Skip forward five months later, the town went bankrupt, people started moving. Since Jason's parents were the main employers, and they never showed up again. The local manufacturer, who employed about 40% of Hollow Creek residents, shut down. My family wasn't wealthy, but we still moved too. My dad worked at the manufacturer, so it's not like we could stay there. We moved closer to my aunt two states down, and she allowed us to stay with her until my parents got better. Which never happened. She had to kick them out, but she let me and my little brother stay. I never heard again about Jason or his parents. And outside of a few supernatural journalists questioning me about my story, nobody talked about what happened in Hollow Creek. It's like it never happened. But it did. And at least 27 of us died. And that. I can never forget.